Santa's coming in town. Santa Claus Tom? Sure I do. Merry Christmas, oh. filthy animal. Christmas isn't just a day or a day. It's a frame of mind. Best way to spread Christmas, Christmas cheer is we're singing loud for all to hear. Christmas Purgatory. It's a podcast about movies, Christmas movies, all year long. I'm your host, Mega Harrison, and this is your lovely co-host and producer, Chad David, a.k.a. Kid Christmas. Kid Christmas himself. And yes. uh, and I also go colloquially by the Mega Scrooge, and you'll find out why, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> no, so uh, today we're talking about a classic Christmas movie for our, our inaugural uh, real episode of this podcast. And what is it? It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. But in case you don't, as the holidays approach, Clark Griswold, played by Chevy Chase, wants to have a perfect family Christmas. So he pesters his wife, Ellen, Beverly D'Angelo, and children as he tries to make sure everything is in line, including the tree, house decorations. However, things go awry quickly. His hick cousin, Eddie, played by Randy Quaid, and his family show up unplanned and start living in their camper on the Griswold property. Even worse, Clark's employers renege on the holiday bonus he needs. So we, that's, those are, that's a weird way to summarize it, but basically we know it's a comedy movie that came out in uh, 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us grew up watching this movie as children, and maybe we shouldn't have, but we'll get into that later. The director is... Jeremiah Chekik. How do you mm. pronounce that? Uh, your your guess is as good as mine. All right. Uh, and the screenplay was by John Hughes, who many of us know from Pretty in Pink and all those classic movies. Uh, yeah. So, uh, now, like she had said earlier, um, this is one of those movies that I believe 99% of the people that are, are living on this planet Earth have seen. I, on the other hand, <laughs> as much as I love Christmas movies, this was literally my second time ever watching this movie. Um, I remember watching it for the first time, maybe I, I say roughly four years ago. It's just never like this is oh, yeah. literally the only Christmas movie that never displays Christmas Day in it. They never even make it to Christmas in this movie. It's amazing how it's considered a Christmas movie. And oh it never it's ta- such a Christmas. Christmas is in the title, Chad. But it, but it's never. It's literally never in Christmas in the movie. It's never Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. It's never the actual day of Christmas in this movie. The movie ends on Christmas Eve, so you don't even get to experience Christmas in this movie. 
you just get to experience the beforehand of Christmas. Lame, <laughs> if you ask me. It's lame <laughs> just before Christmas. Zero stars. <laughs> Zero oh. stars. Oh, no, but uh, uh, so on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is uh, a review site that I go to to determine if I think a movie is going to be good or not. It's not a very good site to go on and, and do this kind of stuff because it's very a lot of the movies are either skewed because of people paying for reviews or uh, whatever. But I like to use it just as a reference. The critics on this, it was 47 reviews. Uh, 68% of the people liked this movie or thought it was a good movie. And then um, for the audience score, which would be us normal people, uh, there was 222,000 reviews. And 86% of those reviews came in as a positive review for this movie. So this is like one of those movies where the critics thought was okay, um, but the audience themselves thought it was a great movie. Uh, so you got that. And then uh, this movie had a budget of $25 million in 1989, which was considered like a really, really high budget for a movie, uh, seeing that it didn't, it didn't have any kind of like uh, CGI in it uh, or anything like that. So 20, 25 million was a big budget, um, but it did make 71.3 million. So um, it definitely made its money back in uh, threefold. And then um, on top of that, it is the 23rd ranked highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. So, wow. I didn't even know we had those, those types of metrics. It's yeah, amazing. I mean, it's kind of skewed because uh, it just did come out in 1989, so the dollar was not worth as much as it is now. So a lot of the movies on the, the list are movies that have recently came out because, I mean, The Grinch with Jim Carrey is like probably the top movie on that list. It, it made probably like $200, $300 million when it came out. Uh, so it's all, with a movie like that, you're, you, I like to look at it as uh, if you could find the numbers, if you could add inflation into it, that would make it a little bit more uh, even, but I didn't find those numbers. So I just went with the numbers that they gave me. Oh man. And now I'm that I'm so- bored everybody, <laughs> let's get into this review. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about it. So basically this is our first episode. So we're going to be seeing how this works out. It might change as we go along, but we're going to go through the talking about some of the scenes of this movie. But first I want to start. Um, I, like I kind of uh, mentioned, I uh, saw this as a young child. Um, I don't know how young. I mean, when, how old was I when it came out? I guess I was like six. I don't yeah, know. I was, Math. I, was, I, was, I was seven. So. Okay. So I was, I probably didn't see it when I was six, but my sister's four years older than me. She was really into this movie. She would watch it all the time when I was probably a little too young to be seeing some of the content in it. And she, I always assumed that I loved this movie because she loves this movie. She has, you know, the, the, uh, the eggnog mousses and like, which impractical glass, especially for such an error prone man, you should not have such an easily broken glass. That's, but anyway, that's, you know, those glass, those glasses are from the first movie. Those are are Wally world glasses. Yeah. Here's the thing. Rewatching this movie. I 
realized I don't know if I like it. (laughs) I can see that. It might be, it might be the fact that maybe it doesn't hold up. That's a good point. It might be that, that, because a lot of it too, I mean, and I am, I claim to be a comedian, but a lot of the comedy and the perspective it was coming from is just so bleak, man. Like it's just everything's, and it's like this so just cynical to me to see a lot of it. And I, and the slapstick of it, like I, I just get nervous. I don't want people, I don't want people to be hurt. See, I thought, uh, I, I, I mean, watching this movie again uh, four years after I watched it before, um, I remember the first time watching it, it was very slapsticky, And I like those kind of movies. I, I like Will Ferrell, like Chevy Chase, like all those guys, they, they tend to veer towards like the really slapstick kind of comedy. But the second time I watched this movie, I think I paid a little bit more attention to it. There's actually a lot of really good comedy in this movie oh, other yeah. than – the slapstick comedy, but it's harder to pick up because it's very su- um, sub subtile. Sub, what do you? What's that word? Subtile. Subtile. Is that a word? Subtle. Subtle. There you go. Subtle. I, you guys are gonna find out real quick. I'm horror with uh, words. So uh, yeah, subtle. Very very subtle. <laughs> very subtle uh, humor in it, and it's all coming from basically Chevy Chase. And his, I think with his uh, emo, like uh, facial expressions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Like a classic, like comedy just done with your face and. Yeah, great face actor. Oh, there was a lot of good face acting in this movie. Yes. A lot of good face acting. Johnny Galecki. Galecki was great. Yes. Great at face acting. Great at it. Perfect. And there was just a lot of like one liner throwaways that were funnier than the, the, the actual like punch you in the face comedy that they had. Um, but so if you could pick up on some of that, like, I, I think this movie is a little bit better, uh, comedy wise than just the slapstick kind of stupid comedy that a lot of people see it as. So, you know, and plus you being a comedian, I mean, I think comedians hold comedy to a little bit higher standard. Oh no. Yeah. Than, uh, than people. I mean, they talk about it all the time. I mean, <laughs> the slapstick comedy is what the common folk like. Uh, that's what we go to the watch. The common folk. Oh yeah. My I mean, gosh. the non comedian people, you know what I mean? Like the, the, we don't, we don't talk about you that way though. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe we do. <laughs> no, but... we do. I'm just a common person. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 one of those things that the the slapstick of it all. I think it has more to do with like that it was maybe traumatizing for me some of the stuff because watching it again as an adult, I'm like upset by it, but I only I think it's only because my inner mega is like no. <laughs> but I mean, it's- I will say that despite kind of being so disturbed by a lot of it it's still and always will be something that gives me those tingle tangle, like those feelings. And part of it is like, it opens the way it opens immediately. It's like the music that brings back all those feelings. The music in this movie is so perfect. Christmas eighties, boom, like that. It's, it's perfect. And then the, the, the music kind of gets you into it immediately and you feel these comfy, cozy feelings 
and the, the animation and throw throw the along cartoon. with it. Cartoon, yes, yeah. the cartoon, which really it's really cool. It's really well done cartooning. I don't know who does it or whatever, but it sets so and that's Christmas Day for you. It starts on Christmas Day cartoon. Santa's going into chimneys, Mister. There's no Christmas Day in this movie. What do you think? Santa is just practicing. The actual movie, but yeah, it, <laughs> yes, I get your point. Uh, it's there is, yeah. But it sets the tone of it sets the tone of like what the comedy is going to be from the yeah. outset, which is Christmas, and it's something that Universal we can all relate to. It's like Christmas is this time of year that you're like you're supposed to be just like happy and carefree, but actually, uh, it's super stressful and super hard for a lot of reasons, and that makes it even kind of it's kind of it's. It's funny, but it's also something that's you should be honest about. Christmas isn't just all happy, like gifts and everything. Someone has to make those gifts some happen. Like someone has to handle all those like in-laws and people. It's the end of year. You're going through your end of year review at work. You got to get your bonus. That's stressful. I got to put a ton of that. Spending a ton of money. That's stressful. You want everybody to be happy. You're bending over backwards to make them happy. They're never going to be happy. it's hard christmas is tough for like adults and you got some wacky wacky relatives wacky relatives cousin wacky relatives i would say for me cousin eddie has got to be one of the best like uh side characters that in any movie that kind of just takes over the scene I mean, you got you got Dennis, uh, Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid, right? I get them all mixed yeah. up. Yeah, Randy Dennis, Quaid. No, Randy, Randy Quaid. Yeah, Randy Quaid. You got Randy Quaid, uh, who, in all means, is a great actor. Don't get me wrong. But you got him sharing scenes with uh, Chevy Chase, who, quite honestly, might be one of the best actors of all time. And he's coming what? into these scenes. Chevy Chase. Oh yeah, hands down. Chevy Chase is one of the best actors of all time, any category. If you were to put a top, he would be in my top ten. I would think. I mean, if I really had to sit down and break it down, I think Chevy Chase would be in my top ten. He's in my top ten best butt chins. (laughs) Well, anyway, regardless of how you feel about him, um, he's he's. He's coming into these scenes where you got the the main actor, Chevy Chase is the main actor, and he's just like totally stealing pretty much every scene from him whenever he's in the scene. Yeah, that's and, uh, true. I like that. I like that a lot in in movies where they can take somebody and kind of throw them into the scene and they steal the scene. So that's something, and we'll kind of get into going through some of the scenes. But it's like that's something that I was watching this part of it with my boyfriend, and he pointed out that. Chevy Chase, even though he's like the star, uh, he's the comedy guy. He's kind of acting a little bit as the straight guy in this, even though he is like doing all these crazy comedic slapstick things in the scenes with the zany family. He's the one who acts totally normal. That's the funny thing. When he's around other people, the rest of the world, like people at work or like the neighbors, like he's the zany weirdo. But when he's with his family, suddenly... For the first time and maybe the only time of the year, he is the grounded, like, sane one, even though he's still totally not. Exactly. 
<laughs> that's where that comes from. So, but early on, it starts like we're talking about they're they're uh, driving in the car, stressful right away. They're driving, singing. Well, they're having a nice time. They're singing carols. I'm like, the oh, kids, I, the I kids aren't having that. a good time. Yeah, the kids the kid, are having a good time. Well, literally in the beginning, the kids are in this car. You see this kind of large expanse of road, so they clearly have probably been driving for at least some time, and it turns out that the kids don't even know where they're going. So yeah. he's taking his kids into the wilderness to cut down a tree. He didn't tell them how to dress. He didn't tell them where they were going. They don't know to wear the correct uh, the clothing for that or yeah. the, boot, the bright boots or coat. He hasn't told them at all. He was just taking them. Yeah. Typical. And they, they better be happy about it and grateful because they're you know in the great outdoors. And you get a handle early on that even Clark kind of, he fancies himself, like he's the head of the family. He's the man of the family. And he takes that responsibility seriously, but also he's kind of really not a natural at that. Yeah. Um, so, and early on, I mean, this, this beat where they, they're like um, hiking out to the tree and it's, uh, you know, the joke of like, Oh, so dad, do you have the saw? And his face drops. Oh no, I don't have a saw. <laughs> and then, so, sorry, go on. I was going to say right before that, very before yeah. all of that. I mean, you had the scene where they were getting chased by like the, the quote unquote, the hillbilly kind I of know, people. I block out. Oh, I did note that hillbilly was sexy. That one oh, the, I did. The, I did not notice that. Oh, you didn't? Oh yeah, the one in the, pa- the passenger seat one. I was like, ooh la la, who's that? <laughs> anyway, so you, you get okay. all this cr- all this craziness going on with him being chased, him him speeding up, almost getting hit by an 18, 18 wheeler, uh, just this crazy adventure. And this is where I'm talking about these one liner throwaway lines that I think were great uh, when he dodged the eighteen wheeler and he hit the uh, the ramp. And he jumped up, and the car landed at the Christmas tree store, yeah, yeah. right in the perfect spot. And as they land, he just turns around and looks at the kids, and he goes, "Oh man, we made good time!" <laughs> like after all that shit that just happened, this is what he has to say about. This is what Clark Griswold has to say about everything. And he just goes about it like nothing just happened. I think yeah. that's what I think that's what is so great about the character itself is he just sees the goodness of everything like no matter what happens he always tries to see the goodness out of it all and just kind of kind of get everybody around him to jump on board with him and uh he kind of throws away some of these lines and i think they're just great lines yeah well i like that too because it kind of feeds into that trope of like dads like dads dads only really care about like making good time yeah getting to where they're going typical dad (laughs) only only cares about this one thing but it also does have a deeper thing of like he is being the rock for his family even when he puts them in deadly situations he never breaks face he's always just like things were always fine that is that's admirable but yeah when they go i forgot there's so many parts of this that i'm gonna really have to consult my notes because they're so scary to me that I have to block them out like that that they went under the log truck oh it's so scary it's so scary to me it is yeah my I think that this 
this is up there with like final destination movies with like the movies that have created like phobias in our generation of people because it's like having my car drift under a log truck is something that I'm very cognizant of. I think of it all the time and I'll tell you, it's never happened. I think it's because of my vigilance. I just never drifted under a log truck. Well, I, I mean, there's a couple things to this. Uh, I don't physically think you can do that in real life. Uh, you okay. have to, you you would have to have a really really low car to get underneath there. Uh, and on top of that, um, I, I mean, this is another one of those another one of those scenes where it kind of really shows you his what his personality is all about and and all that because you're in this he's in this situation where anybody would freak out and he doesn't freak out at all. And he just likes, all right, I got, yeah. I, I got this. I'll handle this. And he just swerves out of there. Like it's nothing. And he's just back on the road again. Like, I, yeah. I mean, just another throwaway scene, but it's a good scene it's to set throwaway. up. It's a classic important scene. The other part of it too is so, okay. Getting back to the part with the tree. So he's like, yep. Oh, I forgot a saw. And then the yep. next scene you see is a cut to the tree, giant tree with its entire <laughs> dug up root system. And, and yeah. literally how? <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, uh, my guess would be they tied it up to the car and just kind of pulled it out. But that but is I not, phys- that, that is and the that, car was very far away from where they hiked <laughs> to find that glorious tree. So I know something, something happened. I need to know. No, I mean, I know it's just all silliness, but something happened. Yeah. How that happened. It's like, that is a Marvel. I don't know where, I, uh, gosh, this, oh, sorry. I'm skipping around too, but like the part with the, the log truck brought back this memory that I had from childhood of, um, I, I grew up in Maryland and there was the, the Bay Bridge. So, you know, or like, or no, Francis Scott Key Bridge. So it doesn't matter. There was, there were bridges. You know how bridges have like that, like the cup, the, uh, the like ropey things on the side. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't you know think it's things, rope, but yes. The, the, yeah. The, the things the, on the side, the cables and like the yes. whole structure on the sides of a bridge. Yeah. I, the first time I approached a bridge as a passenger, as a child passenger, um, in a car, I thought that we had to drive up over that part. And it was so scary. And that's what this brought me right back to feeling like a powerless child um, in a bit scary car situations with my parents. So that was, <laughs> that was fun for me. Um, so they get, so basically they get their car they get the tree on the car and you see them driving home. Uh, they get it home. He gets it home and they're all wondering how the hell they're going to get this massive tree inside the house. They get it inside the house somehow. He gets it all squished in there, and it's all tied up in a nice little uh, – it would string in stuff. It's all tied up. And he goes, all right, you know, let's do this. And he rips it apart, and the whole tree opens up, and it breaks all the windows, which, by the way, were fixed already by the end of the, by the, by the, end of the movie. All the windows are there back in place uh i don't know how they did it so quick but uh yeah so it jumped up and it's like this big massive tree out in the middle of there no, uh, honestly this man this man is breaking windows left and right 
all the time, not just during Christmas. Like I'm sure he has like the window repair people like on call. Like there's so many window breakings. Yeah. Speed dial for window repair. No, but this is also the part where Julie Lee Dreyfus and the other, the the dude, these like these snobby neighbors who I love Julie Lee Dreyfus. I don't, she can't be a villain to me. Like I'm just, I'm on her side. I'm, I'm this, I'm on the snobby neighbor's side. I am pro. She is fabulous. She is looking super chic all the time. They're always wearing their little exercise clothes. They have this fancy stereo and they're just all like yuppies. They're so good. It's like the classic of yuppies. They are. I love her so much. I don't know. It doesn't, she can't do anything wrong. There's one scene where she's wearing a dress. It's like, she's wearing a shirt under this dress because the dress is I know you're excited about this part of the dress. I love um, it. Super but, excited. So there's the dress and I know I'm, I'm showing you things and this is an audio medium, but people know people that understand dresses. Yeah. It's like a strapless dress kind of, uh, except it's missing one boob coverage. So you yeah. have to wear a shirt under it, or I guess you don't have to wear a shirt under it. Maybe, maybe like they originally were like, maybe just one boob is out, but then they were like, no, it's too soon. We need to wait for little Kim to and Janet Jackson to make that possible. It could have happened go. in 1989 with huh. Elaine and it would have been the best freaking thing in the world. Oh man. No, but the tree breaks everything and there's sap yes. everywhere. I love that gag. I'm just like, everything's sticking. I was just about to say, this is like one of my, this is one of my top scenes in the, in the movie, because it's like one of those scenes that it's not going to get a bunch of laughs in a theater, but when you watch it and you pay, you're paying attention, it's actually really genius how they did it because he's in bed later on, later on with his wife. And they're talking about uh, how the whole family wants to come over to the house now. And uh, the wife isn't really too keen on it because they never get along. But the whole time that they're talking, he has a magazine and he's turning the pages and all the pages are getting stuck to his fingers. So good. And he has to like, you know, wave them, wave it off and everything. And, you know, his wife is grabbing it. And for the whole scene, though, it's like not just like a one little tiny little thing. And I was just <laughs> laughing my ass off. I wasn't even paying attention to the conversation. I was really just focusing on him and I'm just like, this is such great comedy right there. And it's not slapstick. It's like actually kind of smart comedy. Uh, so you get that scene uh, where setting up to the whole family will be showing up for Christmas this year. Do you think that home alone and the sticky bandits took anything from the stickiness of this scene? No. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're probably right. I think it did because no. okay, that's another movie which we'll get to eventually where there's oh, tons yeah. of slapstick and yeah. stickiness. Like mm-hmm. it's obviously those are the two things that connect it. Okay, they get to Clark's work. And no. I love this because I never really even thought I watched it as a kid. I never really thought about like his professional life that much, even though it's kind of a big part of this. Um, he's like a food additive guy. He's a scientist. That's so cool. I am a, yeah. I, I'm a scientist guys. Um, no. And like, he really knows his stuff and you can tell that at work, he's kind of the nerd of people yeah. 
Like, even though he's kind of this doofus at home, who's like always sticky and breaking windows at work, he's just this super nerd who doesn't even really know how to talk to normal people uh, in terms that it's like speak in layman's terms because he's overly technical and he's a nerd. He's up for potentially food additive designer of the year, which sounds dope. I want to be that <laughs> for making things like what crispier? What was it? It was like a varnish, an edible varnish. <laughs> like, God, yeah, it's some crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh God! I when I took it in, I was like, that sounds great, it's edible <laughs> varnish. But now I'm realizing it's a joke. But but now it's the future. So I'm sure there are tons of edible varnishes. <laughs> There's edible glitter that you can add to any of your drinks. We're eating all kinds of crazy shit over here in 2020. So thank yeah. you, Clark Griswold, for your contribution to that. <laughs> so this work scene pretty much uh, sets up the I w- uh, what I would consider is the plot of the movie, which is he's waiting on his bonus cool. to get a pool. I got a question for you. I've never yeah. bought a pool in my lifetime. <laughs> he had mentioned that he already put $7,500 down as a deposit. I mean, how much does a pool cost? Especially in 1989. It's in ground though, right? So like he has this whole little, he has a little like architecture. Yeah, yeah, he has a little model for it. Of it, which is, there are some of these things that I just kind of take like, oh, of course you would have a model for your pool, but obviously that is patently ridiculous. You, nobody <laughs> normally would go to, through that uh, effort. But yeah, I I have. Are you looking it up? How much pools cost? I, yeah, yeah. Keep on talking. I'm gonna Google as we're talking. Yeah, I have no idea because in ground, I I I wasn't raised in that type of family. Like we had the above ground pool that could fall apart and just spill you into the yard at any moment. This is a how all right. In ground, this is the average pool uh, would be sixteen thousand to twenty four thousand dollars in 1989. What? Yeah, so that was um, pretty hefty. Yeah, that's a and lot. I, that's a big bonus, too. Dude, good for you, Clark Griswold. Okay, so I, I got this other total now. I, so it's the internet. Nobody knows anything. Uh, but it says adjusted for inflation, that would be, it would be about $11,166.85 in 1989. So his seventy five hundred dollars is a very hefty down payment on a twelve thousand dollar pool, and that's a massive bonus, by the way. I mean, I I don't know what scientists get for bonuses, but if you're gonna buy a pool, that's a pretty decent sized bonus. So pretty much, this sets up for the the whole plot of the movie, where you know he's waiting on his his bonus check, and pretty much the movie revolves around him waiting to get his check. So he can make everybody else happy by buying nephews gifts and stuff like that. So no, for sure. And that sets the whole scene for kind of the 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 man he wants to be, the man that that he kind of feels, even though obviously he's killing it his career, he's up for an award, he's you know, a technical uh, go-to for all the all the other uh, lay people there, but he's kind of maybe feeling unfulfilled in his career. Like what he really cares about is just being this provider for his family and like having a better life. But also in the next scene, you learn 
although he's such a nice guy, he really cares about his family. Also kind of a perv. <laughs> kind. <laughs> but aren't we all? But this is one of those scenes that's like classic, quotable from the movie. He goes to the mall. He encounters this gorgeous shop girl who is, uh, you know, flirtatious in a way. That mall, too. I loved this chic 80s mall. It made malls look, it's like the heyday of malls. It made malls look like a whole event, like a really exciting place to go. Even before COVID, it's like, I don't go to mall. I'm not going to go to a mall. Like you can buy everything online, but also malls, so many malls are so sad. But this was clearly like, I remember going to malls when I was younger and it being kind of exciting. Like this is the fancy mall. So he went to the fancy (laughs) mall, he went to the fancy mall and he's dealing with, he's this gorgeous shop girl and saying the most awkward and uh, kind of gross things to her and she's just kind of ignoring the fact that he's no and then the best part which is like oh you're in season to be mary well that's my name and then you know her name is mary and it's just like this one of these perfect things that's my name oh love it love love that my sister quotes that all the time and that's when his uh, his son shows up at the end when she's showing her showing the uh, the lingerie off a little bit <laughs> and she has her like skirt a little hitched up and his son come, rusty comes walking over and uh you know we gotta get out of here dad or whatever and uh this pretty much leads up to the next scene where uh he's trying to light all the christmas lights on the house like he has all these christmas lights like a million christmas lights and he's trying to get it lit and the whole like stick of the whole thing is they don't work and the issue with all these lights in real life is if one bulb is out, if they're all in the same cord or string, then the whole thing's going to be out. Or, you know, there's always this one little stupid thing that goes wrong. And uh, the one stupid thing that goes wrong with him is it's just the switch is not on. And oh, so you got to. You get a so it's so upsetting. The thing about gonna, the. The, the bulbs little... being out. Too. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But the bulb being out too. It's. I think now. Now we know that. All of us know that. And I think it's because of of the work that that Chevy Chase did in this movie, <laughs> and what the writer John Hughes by writing it. Now we know all about that. We can never. It's it's burned into our brains. But here's yeah. the thing that I was wondering because I've never owned a house. I've I don't. I've never really elaborately decorated a house with lights. Do you actually just staple your house? Um, I'm not 100% sure because I've never decorated a house either. But I would think if you were to decorate your house uh, like every year, you would have some kind of hinges or yes. like a corner of the house where you know you can put the lights and it won't go anywhere. It's got to be certain things going on in your house that Maybe the first year you kind of staple them up because you don't really know what you're doing. But I think if you're if you're a constant Christmas oh, lighter, this is interesting. That you would maybe you would put up some kind of bracket or something to kind of string them along the way. I mean, that's what I would think. I so kind of you're positing is that this is Clark Griswold's first time putting up lights to this. Extent. No, Clark is a different animal. Uh, he, <laughs> he does not go by the, the normal standards. 
so I think the normal regular person would have some. I don't think they're stapling lights to their house. If that's a simple answer. It's a Clark yeah. Griswold thing. Yeah. No, but what, how do you think Clark Griswold would feel about icicle lights that now are like ubiquitous and they have been for like no. the past 20 years? You don't think he would go for the icicle lights? No, Clark Griswold is a classic kind of guy. He likes the classics, uh, the, the, the real lights, the, the, the ones that change colors and the, the red, the green. He doesn't want the white ones. He doesn't want the, the, the neon blue, the fancy ones that people put up now, the icicles, the ones that you're talking about. He doesn't yeah. want fancy stuff like that. He just wants, he the wants whole to put in the work. He wants to put in the work and exactly. get rewarded for putting the work. He yes. would not have these inflatable, like no. Santa Claus, never. No, too no. easy, too no. lightweight. I only want a heavy Santa Claus with reindeer that are so annoying. I just kick them all over the place. Like that's, he wants something inconvenient because you don't have to work for it. You don't even deserve it. That's how he, that's, those are good values. I kind of, I stand by that. I like, yeah, definitely. No, but yeah, he wouldn't do the, you know, the net that we just can throw on top of bushes. Yeah. Never, no. never hundred percent. No. no, it's not, it's not his thing. Throw it in the garbage. So he couldn't yeah. get the light pretty much. He couldn't get the lights to work. Um, they were coming off and on, coming off and on. And every time they would come on, he'd walk outside and they'd turn off because his wife was going in, inside because somebody else would, would turn the switch off by the time he got out there. So you had like this back and forth, back and forth kind of scene where he's going back and forth between the lights being on and the lights being off. And then finally the lights are on. And then it kind of leads up. I think there might have been a scene in between, but I don't really remember what the scene is about. But somehow the next morning, uh, they're all going out, but he ends up uh, going up into the attic for something. Oh, this is another classic scene. So he goes up into the attic and then somebody else obviously comes behind him and shuts the attic door on, on the steps to go up to the attic and locks it. So now he's stuck up in the attic while everybody else is leaving. And they didn't really give that much. Uh, it didn't take them that long to say, no, we're leaving without him. Yeah. They didn't look for him. They didn't nothing. They just kind of like, they went, hey, Clark, are you ready? Oh, I guess he's not coming. Let's get out of here. I got to get something in my stomach. <laughs> like, Oh, man. <coughs> no, exactly. All of his family's there. And that's kind of just pointing out that's like, even though it's his house, he's the man of the house. He's doing everything. He just gets no respect. And he gets goes up into the attic. He gets locked up in there. It's like scarier than hereditary. Classic. Clark Griswold. Okay, that's hard to say. Classic Clark Griswold. Yep. He makes the best of the situation and makes a lovely time for himself up in the attic wearing old furs and a turban. Like, that's what I would do. Like, he's relatable. And then watching old... Okay, one of my interesting facts that I like to come up and read about is in one of these scenes. Because a lot of people, I didn't know. I had, you know, I looked it up. Uh, but this movie is actually was adapted from a short movie uh, that was written in the National Lampoon's magazine. So it was it was a short story that was written. So the director wrote that one, and then he took this and made the you know wrote the the screen uh, the That's so neat wrote the whole story for it. But the name of that the title of that article was Christmas can't remember the number 69 68 or whatever it was 
when you go to when he goes to grab the the film from the box, that's the name of the film. Oh, it was yeah. Christmas sixty nine or seventy nine or whatever it was. The name of that article is the name on that uh, the film reel. So that's, that's so a kind cool. of a cool little fact going in there. Yeah, no. And then he's watching these really sweet old <laughs> home movies, and yep, he's no. like all warm and cozy, cozy in the attic, and just having the time of his life. Yeah. He, he, I also learned some lessons from this. I have walked around in attics and I would never just step not on the beams. Never. I wrote that in my notes. Beams, question marks. Right there, beams, question beams. marks. Oh, I believe you. Beams, <laughs> question marks, beams. No, but it's, this, is, this is, okay, You're, this is a good point too because it's like there are some of these slapsticky things and beats that... Uh, it kind of takes you out of it for a second sometimes because you're like, nobody would just not walk on the beams. But, but I don't know. But, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't play by those rules. Nobody would just sit on the door all cozy. <laughs> but he's yeah. A different guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's dressed up in all these old clothing. Like he has a scarf on, he got these long, that. long gloves on. And he's kind of just sitting there crying as he's watching uh, these movies or these old antique films. And uh, then uh, his wife comes in and sees him crying and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I don't know what happens. What happens after that? I mean, well, she she opens the attic door and he's on the attic door and he falls, but he's fine. No, there's no blood or anything. Everything's fine. Oh, I did note though that they did when he was walking around the attic, they did like the stepping on like part of a board and like it hits your face, like like the rake (laughs) scene. And I love, no. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I fell off of a boat recently and it wasn't in the water. So it was, it was a a yard boat, you know, like how sometimes you have the boat in the yard. And I, yeah, when you so go is, sailing in the yard, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like, uh, I, there's a boat in the yard, um, and I never went on it because I was worried that it was da- that something dangerous. I was like, I don't trust going on that boat. But I threw caution to the wind, and I said, I'm going to go on the boat. And as I was, uh, I went on it, and it, it was no incident. And when I came off of it uh, onto this platform where I had to step. I did the board thing. It was like a board, there was a board issue. So like this platform was made of just loose boards and I stepped on one of them such that it just went up exactly like that. But instead of it hitting me in the face, I was, I was jumping off a boat. I fell through, I got all bruised up. This was before, right before a comedy show. And then I got all bruised up. Like it wasn't that bad, but like all scraped up. And then it was just, uh. and then I had to, the person that was running the show, I had to be like, oh, I fell off a boat. And they were like, <laughs> what? I mean, these are these things. Worry, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the water. It was in the I mean, yard. I mean, it was, yeah, it's a worse situation. It, it, it's worse. I don't know. I've never, it was a boating accident and not, it wasn't bad. I survived. I have no more scrapes or bruises. Everything's all healed up. I'm perfectly fine. But I just, I think that maybe I am a lot more like Clark Griswold than I like to admit. Is <laughs> <laughs> the only thing. But, so uh, this, so this is going to lead up to the next scene where 
uh, we get introduced, well, reintroduced, if you've seen the first movie. Uh, you get reintroduced to Cousin Eddie. Uh, Eddie, he kind of just shows up out of nowhere, which I thought was hilarious because he wasn't in the scene at first. And then all of a sudden they show oh, yeah, Chevy, he's just there, like a close-up like, of Chevy Chase. And all of a sudden you hear his voice and it like, kind of pans over and he's standing right next to Chevy Chase. And at this point is where you really... The mo- I think the movie picks up a lot because not only because of C- Cousin Eddie, but you get the very sarcastic side of Clark Griswold coming out uh, now. Oh, yes, yes. Because he does not like Cousin Eddie at all. Uh, uh, he doesn't hate him. He loves him because he is family. But he just he does, he can't stand him. He can't stand to be around him. And just the, the, the quick little jabs that he throws at him all the time oh. are so funny. And just uh, classic humor. I loved every second of their interaction with each other. There this is, is where you get introduced to them. There's a part. So, yeah, Randy's there. I mean, uh, Eddie's there. And he says, you know, yo, you're, are you surprised to see me? And I wrote this down because it's too good. Clark says, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn into the carpet, <laughs> I wouldn't be more surprised. <laughs> I like that. It's such a funny line. (laughs) It's so cute. And then I liked, there's a a scene later that then you learn that not only is Eddie kind of a a hick and he lives in this kind of really crusty old trailer that somehow still runs, he is also a little bit of a a freak in the the sheets (laughs) because he says to his wife, um, don't forget the rubber sheets and the gerbils. (laughs) <laughs> Do you hear that? I, I, watched, I watched it on TV. I don't know if they said that or not. Don't forget the rubber sheets and the gerbils. And this reminded me too, like rubber sheets are, so like latex sheets, there's like latex fetishes. I've looked into this because there, you know, the, um, those Mary Roach books, oh, stop with your face. Okay. <laughs> I've looked into it. Professional inquiry. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, but here's the here's the thing about it. So Mary Roach is this science comedy writer and she writes all these great books about different subjects like that seem like kind of a simple subject, but makes it really kind of really uh, fleshed out and interesting. She wrote one about sex where uh, she talked about the people who are studying where fetishes come from. And so like even like with like leather fetishes and all these things and they're even literally I have not like a uh, fact checked this, but she talks about little like a uh, little mice with like leather jackets to study the, that fetish uh, using a mouse model. You get it. So, and that there's a theory that the, um, that the latex fetish comes from people who were bedwetters and that uh, like into their teens. So then they started kind of, they had the rubber sheets for the bedwetting, but they are also like going through um the puberty and like associating kind of maybe some of their first sexual feelings and some of their first like uh just um the masturbation experiences with like this <laughs> with the Merry with Christmas the, everybody yes Merry Christmas <laughs> with, well it's part of life you guys just it's okay with no but with the this is science also so like relax but like with science. The, this is science they associate that with like the leather the like vinyl smell and then that's why so people genuinely like have these types of fetishes with like rubber sheets but then like how do you go then buy 
shop for the sex ones versus the peeing ones. It's actually pretty easy because, like, the sex ones are super, per- like, expensive and the peeing um, ones are I'm glad you but, let me know that. But so, I don't think – I don't think Eddie has the expensive sex sheets. I think he has the – I don't think so. I don't nah. think he does. I don't <laughs> think he does. And the gerbil thing, that's also so 80s because of the whole, like – um what is his name from Pretty Woman? I'm like blanking on it right now. Um, that it would be Richard Gear. There you go. Richard Gear and thinking, the gerbil yeah. thing. So it's yeah. a it's kind of a riff on that silly that rumor that to me is just the funniest rumor that ever existed. Like the, if you think of that compared to rumors we have about celebrities now. Uh, just the the idea that it's like he's using gerbils sexually is just so fu- <laughs> it's so funny to me. I know you're getting uncomfortable. No, with, I'm not getting uncomfortable. With all I'm my sex like, talk, I, I didn't in, do it. <laughs> going Richard into this, Gere did it. I did not go, do it. Going into this episode about uh, National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation, I did not ever think in my mind that I was going to be talking about uh, plastic bed sheets. And masturbation on those plastic uh, bed sheets. Well, guess what? I got you, brother. I got you. There we go. (laughs) So, so basically, I mean, we got to run through this here real quick because uh, we are (laughs) we are paying way too much attention to some of the small detail. I think basically the guts of this movie is is at this point where you're getting a lot of interactions with the family. Uh, You're getting all these uh, because you get um, the last two to show up uh is aunt bethany and uncle can't remember his name but they are a very older couple and she's uh fun fact uh she is dead now uh that's not the fun fact uh the fun fact is (laughs) (laughs) she was the original voice of betty boop in the 1920s very interesting that but I think at this point, I, th- I think we should kind of like for the guts of this movie, kind of I wrote down some of my favorite scenes, kind of just kind of go through them briefly until we get to uh, the real meat of the ending of this movie where everything kind of comes together. Um, if that's OK with you, I mean. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. So the guts of this movie, there's a lot of funny things going on. One of my favorite scenes is them watching walking. So it's uh, Uncle it's Uncle Eddie and uh, Clark. Griswold uh, going through Walmart and I believe to this very second I only remember Uncle Eddie having one dog I'm not sure he only had one dog right yeah, the Rottweiler? It's not, it's not. so they're walking through the store he is grabbing so much food oh my god dog. yeah <laughs> like I'm talking like 50 pound bags of dog food and he's throwing like three bags at a time on this cart and I just thought it was so funny walking through and like, is this all for the dog? And like, you could see Clark kind of looking at it too. And was like, is this like, am I buying this now? Because this is where you get the story of how he doesn't think his kids is, his kids are going to get any presents. So this is when Clark tells him, oh, Hey, yeah, so me and, yeah, me and my wife want to, you know, help you guys out and we're going to buy them some gifts uh, from Santa and, uh, you know, make their Christmas a little bit more happier. 
Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that scene. And then one other scene that I, I wanted to mention was when <laughs> I, I laughed so hard <laughs> when Aunt Bad, uh, when the, they showed up on Bethany and her husband, uncle, whatever. Uh, they showed up and they had a present for them. And he ha- oh she hands God. it to Rusty. And Rusty was like, at first was like, hey. And he was just about to tell them, hey, it's purring or making some kind of noise. And they were like, just go put it in the living room. So he leaves to go put it in the living room. They had a conversation or whatever. And he comes back in after the aunt had left the room. And he comes back in. He's like, hey, dad, uh, it's purring. So (laughs) clerk grabs the box and shakes it. I laugh so freaking hard when he shakes it. And all you hear is meow. Like a cat. Oh like, yeah, it was a good in that box. I was laughing classic. so hard at that at that moment. I was like, that is one of my favorite. I was laughing so hard. I almost fell off the couch. I was laughing oh so hard. Oh my god, <laughs> silly goose. Sweet you goose. like? Uh, you're such a silly goose that you you skipped one of the most horny making scenes in a movie that has ever existed. I'm not going to harp on it. But well, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you go back. And you could talk about the scenes that you thought were important to the movie. <laughs> but this, I'll just maybe skip that. Go for this just for a second. But basically, we all know what I'm talking about. It's both a pool scene, which is a yeah. scene about him fantasizing about something for his family, which yeah. then gets mixed with his sexual fantasies, yeah. and Mary makes an appearance <laughs> with his with the. Something that I saw as a child and boobs, boobies from the side. It's always been side boob. Yeah. Yeah. Side boob. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Boopy, boobies from the side. Oh, you're like, that has a name. It's side boob. In <laughs> 2020, we call that side boob. But, yeah. <laughs> this was the first time side boob was ever, maybe, maybe this, this was the first time side boob was ever used in a comedy film. There's in a comedy Christmas. In a Christmas Comedy movie. Christmas. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. There is yeah. a funny line that I wrote down that was like, I guess Eddie probably says it like, oh, I'm going to be shitting bricks. And then he says, oh, sorry, shitting rocks. Oh, no, it's the kid that says that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my um, God. It's so cute. <laughs> well, another classic scene that I kind of like jumped over to, which I didn't, in retrospect, watching the scene again, I didn't think was that funny but it was the the scene where he is dumping the waste from his camper into the uh, the drainage it kind of sets up for another scene later on in the movie um another yes i kind of i kind of thought hacky slapstick kind of comedy that i didn't think was funny either but it was kind of setting up another scene where cousin eddie was kind of uh not kind of he was uh draining the waste system from his camper into the sewer system. And uh, Clark did not like that because he, uh, he had some kind of explanation of chemicals getting released. And if there was any kind of spark from a flame, it would just like blow oh, everything up. Yes. Which so is kind of foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For something else. Brilliant. Yeah. Yo, the only then, last, yeah. my last scene, this is the last scene I'm going to talk about in the guts of this, uh, in the guts of this movie was the scene where they're all eating uh, they're all eating at the oh, dinner table. Yes. Oh, and they have they oh, want auntie oh, they want auntie Bethany to <laughs> give grace. So she starts giving grace 
and she starts reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> so funny. The look that Clark gives her is so freaking funny. And then when Uncle Eddie stands up and puts his hand over his heart, <laughs> I'm just dialogue. Oh, like, oh my god, now this is funny. So that was like one of my favorite oh my scenes gosh. in the, uh, the movie. Too. But then the turkey, it goes. Yes. Ah! It opens up. <laughs> think it was possible. <laughs> it's surreal. No, it's genuinely, it feels surreal. It starts feeling really surreal after that moment because basically yep. then everything kind of start. everything's already been crazy. Everything's yep. going crazier. The cat's dead from chewing on wires. The tree catches on fire from the cigar. That's other, like, also t- t- foreshadowing for bad things to happen. Yeah. The boss gets abducted by Eddie. And actually, what a hero. He has a chainsaw. I th- Clark goes I- nuts with a chainsaw. Yes. He looks like, um, so at the beginning of the movie, he came out and he looked like Jason Voorhees with this, the, the, yes. the, 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 goaltend- the goaltender's mask on. And then later on, he came out looking like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the uh, the chainsaws. So, oh uh, like those kind of like uh, slasher ode, reference. Oh, to the the slasher references, yes. Slasher so, man. But I think this is where we should pick it up. If you have nothing else to say, like scenes that you liked in the guts of this movie, I think what you, what you just mentioned is where we should pick it up from. Is when everything has gone wrong. Everything it's they're at, totally at the last. Yeah. He's totally at his last piece of string. And <laughs> this is where cousin Eddie gets the idea that he's he is gonna pay Clark back by all his help that he's given him, and he's gonna take matters in his own hand. So I think we should pick up from this point and kind of finish it out from here. Yeah, so basically Eddie's a hero. He goes to yep. this this guy is 80s rich. Like he's so fancy schmancy. You can see his whole beautiful, crazy house and his like luxurious, elegant wife. Wife. He abducts the boss, the fancy 80s corporate boss who you're like, you just know you're like, you are an evil corporate boss. And played by, um, played by Brian Doyle Murray, by the way. Brian who, Doyle Murray. Who is a very, very well-known actor. He's done everything. But the second... I had to look him up because this, uh, uh, the second I heard his voice at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, I recognize that voice from something. The voice, not even him, just the voice. That voice is from something that I watched. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, maybe he was the character on American uh, American Dad or uh, Family Guy or something like that. It was from an animated cartoon. And for this whole goddamn movie, I'm sitting there thinking and thinking and thinking. And finally, this is when I catch on because you hear his voice a lot more. I'm like, holy shit, he does the voice in SpongeBob. I'm a huge SpongeBob fan. Nice. He's the flying he's the flying Dutchman in SpongeBob. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so that is like cool. it just just one of those things in my head where I knew who he was. I've seen him in other movies, but his voice was so recognizable to me that I was just sitting there like it was racking my brain so much. And it was like a relief when I was like, SpongeBob, I got it. I can enjoy the rest of this movie now. Oh, that's I'm so glad for you. Yeah, that is so hard when you can't figure out 
what what you're who you're seeing or what you're looking at imagine not having like imdb at all which is what like imagine being these people in the 80s yeah i know right but the crazy thing is is i got it on my i was i was proud of myself because i got it by myself i'm I'm proud but then you wouldn't have been able to confirm it if you didn't have see 2020 isn't so bad you guys 2020 (laughs) is great 2020 is okay um no but so he abducts Eddie abducts the boss and then at first Clark's kind of mad, but basically then it's revealed that the boss is pretty much being kind of a jerk and a scrooge because he's like, I'm not giving bonuses this year. And he explains. Well, this is what, yeah, the the setup for this is uh, what really set uh, Clark off is that he realizes that he's not getting a bonus. Yes. So this is, this is where sets off all this. Yeah. So he's not getting a bonus. yeah. He's getting like a jello of the month club or something. Jelly. <laughs> and, jello of the month. <laughs> and it's like he's not, he doesn't get a bonus. And then so it's like the guy's kidnapped. Um, and it turns out it wasn't just Clark who didn't get a bonus. This guy didn't give anybody bonuses. Yeah. And he's basically, it's just for the bottom line because he's just this cold corporate Scrooge. Scrooge That's what you learn. That's, he's the Scrooge McDuck about it. And yep. he, uh, um yeah it it basically is revealed he just doesn't he just didn't give bonuses and clark explains it's like this is part of our compensation that we kind of like expect especially like performing at a high level we're Mm -hmm. planning based on this and like they really set the frame that this guy is filthy rich but basically um he goes kind of freaking crazy as a chainsaw it's a little it gets really scary it's like things are off the rails like things are going to go totally south from here but 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 they don't no (laughs) they don't it all works out in the end because of the christmas spirits yeah no definitely (laughs) no but i i I don't have a lot of notes after this because i kind of just got wrapped up into the the rest of the part it became so crazy with the 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 explosion and then Santa Claus flying across the moon. And I, I just got a little wrapped up into it and all the music of it all. Because like I mentioned earlier, this has the best Christmassy music. I would, I probably just, I'm going to just listen to the soundtrack as much as I can this holiday season. That song that's <laughs> like, and I don't know the words to songs. I don't know what's wrong. So many Christmas songs are bad in this universe we know that but yeah. not any of the christmas songs in this in this movie these are the best christmas songs they're so classic i'm bad at singing them i'm sorry that if you had to hear that i am sorry i'm sorry so one of the things that we should mention uh one of the funnier scenes that uh, one of the classic scenes is the scene where he does open up the check and he and he, oh, and he starts calling his boss all these names i think he calls them i could be wrong here but i think he called them 33 two or 33 names different names (laughs) so from the research that i did because i'm wondering in the back of my head is this something that chevy chase just did randomly and was just putting out names improv like improv wise and they just kind of let them keep going and Mm. come to find out that some of it was yes improv but most of it was and you can't see it when you're watching the movie but because the scene is set up where everybody is in the room with them, everybody in the room has a flashcard on it with a word with a name on it. So he's going around the room just looking at the flashcards, 
were yelling out the names that are on the flashcards. So I thought that was pretty, uh, a, pretty a pretty cool little behind the scenes uh, kind of thing that uh, goes along with the movie. But yeah, the the end of the movie kind of wraps up in a good way. You find out the you find, you do find out that the, that the boss is doing it. So you get this big scene where uh, the wife calls the the cops and a little overdone, I think, because they bring in the SWAT team, <laughs> which oh, yeah. I would think that they would probably just call the local cops first to check it out and see what's going on before they called the SWAT team in. But they, they end up having the SWAT team come in and they end up breaking into the neighbor's house and all this other stuff like going on. They're swinging. They swing in through all the windows that were broken in the first place. They re-break all the windows by swinging into the house. And we find out that it's all a misunderstanding because the boss has a change of heart because of uh, Cousin Eddie. Eddie has a big speech about how great Clark is and that he deserves this kind of thing and this and that. The The wife shows up with the cops, comes in, and she's explained to uh, how he goes, the boss says, uh, you know how I said I was going to not give everybody, I was thinking about not getting everybody bonuses. Well, I did it. And she's like, oh, that's that's shitty of you. Pretty much that's what she said. You're, you're a shithead. And why would you do that? And that was pretty much the end of the movie. I think there was a little bit left at the end, um, but I'm not 100% sure. I um, that's kinda, yeah, that's kind of where it wraps up for me, like yeah, at that spot. <laughs> wraps up for me. Oh, the movie ends for me right there. So you can just yeah, pretty much. I, I, I can't really remember if there's like a scene after it. Maybe there's a scene with him and his wife. No, they go all outside. The end is like they're singing together. They're still also not singing, just like the Pledge of the Allegiance or whatever. They're still. Oh not. yeah, that's that's right. The end, uh, yeah. because. It, <laughs> when he blows up, when the the uncle blows up because he yeah. throws the the match in there, it blows up, and then all of a sudden the aunt is singing the the, the national anthem. That's right. Yes, they're very patriotic. <laughs> the, bo- the bombs bursting in air, and you just see like a big light go up in the air. That was a that was a really funny scene too. So yeah, no, it's I'm glad funny. It closes it out, and it's also yeah. kind of. This family is a bunch of kooky weirdos. They do things their own way, but they are, they love each other. They do it together and it's Christmas. Yes. So I think we should end every podcast, which we agreed upon uh, beforehand with a rating, some sort of rating system. And uh, I, I, I mean, it's totally up to you, but I think we should stick with the, the Christmas, the 12, Yes. The twelve Christmas, the twelve days of Christmas, as a rating system. So we're gonna rate instead of rating it one through five or one through ten, we're gonna rate this one through twelve. And we do. I will have it in a second. We will have the lists of uh, what each day is in the song, and that will be the rating of what we think of the movie. Uh, so if you know, for say, if we think it's a five out of 12 then we would give it five golden rings and you can sing it if you want (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you many people have told me i have a voice of an angel 
Okay. So it's, it's one out of 12, right? 12 being the highest. Yes. And as I mentioned up top, so I'm going to go first, obviously yep. <laughs> I'm doing it. As I mentioned yep. up top, this movie is a classic to me, but it's also been somewhat traumatizing it watching it again. I found a lot of joy from it. There are a lot of good yep. things that I, that I liked both liked seeing them like fr- with fresh eyes, but also brought back some of those tingle. I look for the tingle tangle tingle feelings when I'm tingle watching tangle. the tingle feelings. Yeah. The Christmas yeah. tingly tangle feelings is what I look yes. for in a movie. I got some of those. I will say it's still, I don't love this movie talking through it more. I do like this movie and I have a lot of fond feelings. So I'm going to give this eight maids of milk in. Wow. All right. Not too far off from what I was going to give it. I, Ooh, I can't wait. What is it? I enjoyed this movie. I'm, I'm like, like I said at the beginning, like I, I, I loved certain aspects of the movie. I, I don't know if I would say it would, uh, if it would held up if, like, say if you had like a 13, 14 year old kid and you showed him this movie for the first time, I don't know how much it would hold up, but Ooh. I still think it had some funny parts in it. Uh, some really, I thought really, really funny parts, but I also thought some of those parts were parts that other people probably didn't think were as funny as me. Uh, but I would give this movie seven swans a swimming. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> so seven, I give it a seven out of 12. Nice. And I got, I was actually more generous than that. Eight out of 12. I'm the yes. most generous of us both. <laughs> I am the Christmassy one. So I will keep a, I will keep a, a piece of paper with, because I'm old school. Fancy. I don't know computers. Uh, I'm going to keep a piece of paper right there. You, you <laughs> I got, I got an iPad. I got a MacBook pro. I got uh, Apple TV, but I'm terrible with, uh, with typing things out on a computer and actually doing something. Well, you know, what's terrible paper. What's Cause it tears, it tears. You can cut that. You can cut that. But in, no, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put a drum roll right there. I'm gonna put one of those like. Oh yes, there gonna be sound effects. I want jingling sounds. Um, there will be no sound effects in. It. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think I think we did it. I think uh, I think that's our first real official episode down. Um, so thanks Yay! everybody. Yay! We did it. We did it. We did it. Oh, we're so amazing. We're so brave. We made a <laughs> podcast. Oh my god. And thank you guys for listening. See you later, Mega. Bye. I sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. Merry Christmas. For one night of the year when we all act a little nicer, we smile a little easier, we care a little more. Please, please tell that we're still in Christmas this year. I just want my family. <laughs> Christmas card you sent me, Violet. We're gonna have the happiest Christmas. And then, to finish, we'll snuggle.